This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Over these blockades that have taken place across the country, certainly just to the east of us, uh, east of Belleville, and many of us have mused aloud on this program, certainly, uh, for a number of days, why the rule of law is not being upheld, because that is paramount or fundamental to uh, the way we conduct our affairs. Uh, Rather eloquently, there was an op-ed piece in the uh, National Post, penned by, in part, Asher Honickman, Toronto lawyer with Matthews Abogato, LLP, and he's joined us on the line to explain what this is exactly and why it matters. Asher, always a pleasure to have you on the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. It's great to be here, John. Great to hear your voice. Likewise. Uh, so let me just start with the overarching question. Uh, tell us what the rule of law is and why it's so critical. Well, the rule of law, you have to think of it almost as the basic social contract in society. What it says is that no one can hold absolute power. All government agents are are subject to the law, are subordinate to the law, but in return, all people have to follow the law. And, And there's we could literally talk for hours about what the rule of law includes, and there's lots of debate about exactly what it includes. But those are sort of the basic points. Uh, and, and the reason it's so relevant here is because we have a court-ordered injunction, and when the court has ruled on something, any order, but I would say especially an injunction, it is so important that people follow that rule, that people who are captured by the injunction stop doing whatever they're doing, and that police officers who are um, essentially told by the decision uh, to enforce it do enforce it. All right, so when you talk about it as a covenant or a social contract, uh, who confers the legitimacy on the rule of law? Well, I mean, it's conferred in many ways. I mean, you can trace it all the way back to Magna Carta. I mean, that's 1215. That's the first time we have this idea coming forth that even the sovereign, even the king is subject to the law, that no one person can hold absolute power. And so it's a principle that has weaved its way through our laws literally for centuries. It is embedded in our Constitution. It is in the preamble to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms as one of the founding principles of the Canadian state. Uh, and, and again, it, it, it is something that our judges have said over and time again. It is a fundamental postulate of the Canadian system. They've used words to that effect. And the key ingredient of it is that there will be decisions that we don't think are just from time to time, but we have to follow them because if we don't, we're undermining the entire structure that allows for uh, an orderly society, a lawful society to occur. But what if you have outlier groups, as seems to be the case here, uh, who don't believe it legitimately applies to them? Well, I mean, you know, we talk about this in the article. What what they're saying, essentially, they're taking issue with the authority of the Canadian state. They're, they're sort of like free men on the land, these sovereign citizens who say, I'm not bound by the law because I haven't consented to it. Um, the problem is, if everyone holds that view, we have no law whatsoever. And when we have no laws, we can have no rights. This is the key thing, that people, you can't build the 12th floor penthouse until you have the foundation laid. And if you don't have the rule of law, you don't have the foundation for all the other things that we want in society, all the rights and privileges that we enjoy. Yeah, it would be arbitrary and chaotic. Uh, Yes. 
And, and, and it's so important to remember what happens in that arbitrariness and chaos. Is it going to be the interests of Indigenous people or the powerless that prevail? Of course not. It's going to be the interests of the most powerful that prevail in a system of lawlessness. So it is, it is the system of laws that is so important to help those who lack the power in society. The rule of law and uh, its importance, as he's explaining. Now, when it comes to the enforcement of the rule of law, this is another uh, thing that I guess some of the authorities are stepping gingerly around. Uh, what does your piece say about the enforcement? So we don't we don't really get into the enforcement. The the enforcement here is a bit of a tricky issue. One because it involves all these policy uh, concerns, but also because, as I recall, the decision itself. Uh, doesn't provide a ton of guidance in terms of how it is supposed to be enforced. Uh, Injunctions can be enforced in lots of different ways. Sometimes the police will go ahead and enforce it. Sometimes uh, what needs to happen is that the party that got the injunction needs to go back to court and get a contempt order. Um, So police don't necessarily always get involved as soon as there's been uh, an injunction order. It can vary case by case. Here the argument is that because uh, it is so essential for Canadians uh, to get to get goods that are that come by railway that this injunction needs to be enforced by the police right away. Well, and yet when we've got, uh, let's say, the protesters, native or otherwise, uh, and we have this covenant that they may agree to or not agree to. Uh, there's a certain skepticism that permeates, I think, a lot of the relationships historically. There's a legacy of, uh, you know, bitterness towards the state. And, you know, I mean, I don't have to cite you chapter and verse where that's sort of taken root. Uh, but what do we do in that case? I mean, is there some type of uh, mechanism for remediation or uh, even reconciliation within the rule of law for these people who feel like they've been betrayed? I, I think there is. So the, the first point is that a lot of a lot of the grievances are absolutely genuine, and a lot of these grievances have to do with abrogations of the rule of law, um, when arbitrary power was imposed. Uh, in other words, when things were done outside the rule of law system. And so it is important to remedy that, to, to say, look, like, let's work within the rule of law. Let us address these. Let's have reconciliation. Let's have all that. But let's have it within the rule of law. So, for example, one thing you, you could do, certainly, uh, is have more self-government. You could, you could certainly do that. You could have uh, some people have talked about having a sort of division of powers model the same way we do with uh, the federal government and the provinces, having that between uh, the federal government or the Canadian state, as it were, and indigenous communities. And that's one way to do it. In order to do that, though, you have to have an overarching structure that basically says, here are the powers of the Canadian state, here are the powers of the indigenous communities. What you can't have is people unilaterally deciding, no, these are our laws, and we're not bound by Canada's laws, so here's what we're going to follow. Um, you know, I mean, first of all, the, the court in this case said that there wasn't even evidence that this blockade was in accordance with this um, particular ban's laws. So that, that's the first point. But the second point is that even if, it, even if it had been in accordance with those laws, how do we then arbitrate it? We have to have some kind of overarching structure to say this is going to be your sphere and this is going to be uh, Canada's sphere. 
Well, therein lies the dilemma, because you've got uh, within the case of these indigenous nations themselves, if we can call it that, uh, or you've got an elected band council, but you've also got hereditary chiefs. And the Wet'suwet'en land is not ceded, if I understand it correctly. So the hereditary chiefs claim legitimacy or being the authoritative voice, whereas, again, Democratic. And then it's being adjudicated by uh, Madam Justice Church of the Supreme Court of B.C. Uh, what did she find? Well, so so she basically found that on the evidence before her, that there was no evidence that this that that this band's laws demanded that they be blockading in this fashion. And we see there is an internal power struggle going on there. There's lots of different uh, perspectives on that. And of course, the rule of law could accommodate all that. The rule of law could say that any. Um, any band's laws shall be interpreted by the band, right? We could have that as a constitutional principle, and, and there could be some sort of Supreme Court, um, some sort of indigenous Supreme Court. All of these things are compatible with the rule of law, but they need to come, again, from an overarching structure. We don't have that structure right now. We almost got something like this uh, in the Charlottetown Accord about about. 30 years ago, um, but we don't have that. So we have to work within the system we have now. There's different ways we can do this, but ignoring injunction orders is not one of them. Right, uh, because we do have an existing governing framework, and hopefully uh, even our governments will understand we have to operate within that context. Uh, I don't understand the vacillation over the last number of days, but uh, that's just my aside, my editorial comment. Appreciate your coming on, Asher, and explaining the rule of law and why it matters, because it certainly does. Foundational principle. Thank you. Thank you, John. You got it. Asher Honickman, Toronto lawyer, Matthews, Abogado, LLP. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.